Hello and welcome to this very special Stages podcast mini-series. I'm your host, Peter Ayers. It's World Pride 2023 and the Queer Globe is converging on Sydney, Australia to celebrate diversity, inclusion, community and fabulousness. To mark this momentous event, the Stages podcast is saluting the cast of captivating drag divas and personalities who have been featured on the podcast during the past five seasons. They are artists who have appeared on national and global stages, thrilling audiences, making a difference, healing community and expressing unique and wondrous talents. We spotlight these episodes so you can savour a second listen or so you can sample the delights of these entertainers for the very first time. A diva a day for each day of World Pride. Hello, I'm Peter Ayers and you're listening to Stages. I started dressing up in drag at home at Christmas parties and birthday parties. Everything around me, I was like a sponge and I still am. Incredibly observant incredibly visual. Well, always, because like I said, I danced, um, you know, from the age of five until I left France to go to the to the army. Take a, a script and you sort of reinterpret it. You have to be so careful. And then we decided on Mitzi, it was going to be Mitzi Maguire or Mitzi Mayhem. I used to choreograph the drag shows for the drag queens, so I got to know them. Well, and behold. The next morning when I wake up, here's my face on the Daily News. (laughs) And to this day, people go, oh, Bob Down, oh. And there were these dance steps called shoe the ducks and dry your nails. And I sat there for weeks learning how to do my face. Get me on a microphone, half pissed and just like in a room full of people that are halfway there themselves. And then I remember when I was five, I wanted to go to this party as a fairy. I have to be able to put as much of my soul into it as possible. Lee Gordon named me Carlot. Lee Gordon was a big promoter who actually started the drag queen shows off in Australia. I'd do it all again in a heartbeat, but I'd do it a little bit different next time, I think. I'd be, I would be more prepared than what I was. I think I was just someone from the suburbs that went to King's Cross. It was a privilege and a delight to feature Cindy Pastel and Miss 3D in the Stages live series at the Powerhouse Up Late for Vivid Sydney in June 2022. They are an essential part of Sydney's gay heritage and elders of the community who must be celebrated and applauded for an immense contribution. In the bohemian world that is drag, few artists can lay claim to the exalted and ebullient eccentricity that is Cindy Pastel. The alter ego of performer Richie Finger, Cindy has been delighting, thrilling and astonishing audiences for close to 45 years. And growing up in a rural Victorian town, a diet of community theatre and ballet classes shaped a desire to command the stage for Miss 3D. Study at the Australian Ballet School was interrupted with a quick visit to Sydney when Glyn Lewis met and was seduced by his drag tribe via performers such as Doris Fish, Teresa Green and Danny Aboud. Miss 3D arrived and quickly established herself on the scene as an artist of superior talent and invention. This was a riotous and essential conversation. It took place in June 2022. 
I'm very excited about this first conversation tonight. It's with uh, two, um, there aren't enough superlatives, drag legends, drag icons, drag pioneers, drag royalty, all of that fits the bill and more. Ladies and gentlemen, would you please welcome my guests for tonight, Miss Cindy Pastel and Miss 3D. Yeah. Hello. 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 How are you? Is my mic on? Yeah, I Is think my it's on. That's on? good. Hello. <laughs> now we know where all the power's going. <laughs> Hello, love that Here, love. Here's your microphone because. Thank you, darling. And I, has mine turned on? They yeah, couldn't mic good. me you, up. They can didn't you know hear me they up the back? They couldn't find anywhere to mic yeah, me so up. Yeah, Hello. Are you right, love? I'm all right. How's now? your corn? Hey? How's your corn going? It's good. I've got my rubber boots on. Yeah, well, that's good. That's good. Well, I sit here, darling. <laughs> yeah, that'd be lovely. Yeah, lovely. You're going to sit there, yeah, love? Yeah, I'll sit here. All right, let's sit. Great. Hello, everybody. Oh. Hi. The, the, radio. <laughs> oh, radio, you've got no idea how beautiful we look tonight. <laughs> really, now, really For the good. listening audience uh, who might be accessing this podcast... Uh, via the podcast platform, you might be at home ironing or uh, at the gym. Uh, Miss 3D is wearing a beautiful headdress uh, with the vivid insignia across the top flashing in lights. And what was your wonderful line when, he, when she entered? Oh, I don't know, darling. How about I... the power? That's where all the power's gone. The power's gone having... because of Miss 3D. Yeah, all yeah, of it. Yes. Oh, it's well. called E.L. Wire, in case anybody wants to know. Uh, it's it's a, new in, a new invention. And it's fucking a nightmare to work with. <laughs> but it looks stunning. But we got don't. there. We did get there. Did it yeah. take you very long to, to put the, 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 yes, the cap it up together? How long? A um, couple of days, maybe three days. Right. Yeah. And but you design all your costumes, of course, don't you? Yeah. But not all of them. Right. But 90%. Yeah. I'm I, wearing wa I want to make sure if I design something, then I know somewhere else doesn't have the same thing, you know. Yeah, yeah. That's true. Yeah. It's an original. This is an original oh, yes. well, 3D. people worship the originality, don't they? You, you, know? you made this for me, darling, <laughs> didn't you? That's right, I did. I, I threw her old... And it still a, looks pretty good. ...an old drag bag at her and a, a, a child's pyjama top and said, love, can you make me something, please? And this is what I've got. Isn't it fabulous? Yeah. Ah. Fabulous. <laughs> She's a clever old thing. And you know, unfortunately, we can't do much about the old pot belly, but that's what you, you get those when you're 43. Now, now you, you must have magnificent wardrobes. Every creation that you, you build, you make, you wear. Do you hang on to it or do you, do you have to recycle it? Oh, no, no, it? no. I usually have... I always start off with crinolines or fishtails and then they become mini skirts because I just can't stand to wear them more than twice as a fishtail. But anyway... Um, I, my whole house is just full of drag and um, I just look at my whole house as a palette and everything in it is what we get. And, um, you know, I just hope that... Uh, it's a drag cave, isn't it's it? It's a really? drag cave. And, I, and I, I, I put on Facebook the other day, I nearly didn't get to the toilet in time because of the mound of drag that was in the, in the room. <laughs> but I did get there and we did get there. So everything's up for grabs. You could you could turn almost anything into a costume or use it as part Just of a costume. Just about, yeah. I like doing that. I had quite a collection of drag actually, uh, from '77 on. I I kept a lot and I made a lot. And then I had a bit of a breakdown and I got rid of a lot of it, which was a stupid thing to do. It was unfortunate because yes. there were some priceless things that Incredible. I wish I still had. 
But then after my breakdown, I sort of got better and then 2018, you know, I've started again and I had to move recently because of the apartment that I was in, I couldn't fit any more in. So, yeah, I'm hopeless. Like, I just can't stop making stuff. I like that whole creative process, you know what I mean? Absolutely. I think that's just as important as the actual finished article, you know what I mean? And I'm working on an outfit, hope no one copies me, uh, that's going to be based on scissors for, uh, for next year's Pride. Oh, fabulous. We're doing an exhibition at um, State Library. Yep. And I want to base the whole outfit on scissors because I've done one that I based on zips, which was a lot of fun. All these different zips, men's fly zips, log zips, short zips, fat zips, all different <laughs> zips. And then on RuPaul, I saw someone make one out of tape measures. Oh. I thought, oh, well, I can't make one out of tape measures. What will I do? I'll make one out of scissors. It's so good. that's my next big project, the scissor though. outfit. Yeah, oh. so we'll see what happens. So you could so do hook and eyes after that. Hook? Oh, God, <laughs> I suppose I could do hook and eyes. It might take me a while or press studs or something like that. No. You know what I mean? But Give I think, it a go, love. I think scissors are good. Give Everybody it a go. needs a pair of scissors, eh? Can yeah. I just tell you, ladies and gentlemen, Miss 3D was just talking about her breakdown. I was with her when she had the breakdown. She was staying with me and... Uh, We've been friends since 1978, five, five, seventy-six. We met in Melbourne, and in those days, coloured hair wasn't very fashionable. It was pretty outrageous, quite punk. And I met I met Glenn at uh, at a, a party. A friend of ours called Tim McHugh had a party, and uh, I met this boy with blue hair. And um, a few months later. I'm in Sydney, I don't know how it all happens, but you know how when you're young and you're 20 years old, anything can happen. And I was walking down the streets in King's Cross and there was that blue-haired guy that I met in Melbourne like six months before. So I went up to him and I just basically said, hi, Glenn, do you remember me? He said, yeah, come on, come on. So we went home and um, we've been best you up. dressed me up and <laughs> yeah. took photos of me. Up. Some of my mum's costumes, I dressed him up and... And that I, was it, you and were I, born. And I, I looked at this wig and he said, no, that's not a wig, it's a Santa Claus beard. And I said, <laughs> not for fucking long, love. And I plonked it on my head and I turned the Santa Claus beard into a wig, you know. So I was very creative right at the uh, early stages. Um, your excellent creativity and uh, illusion, uh, your art, consummate artists. Thank as, you. As kids... Was that your favourite subject at school? I mean, w were you making and building things? Oh yes, as, but as look, children? I have to tell this gorgeous story because of this because of this week. One of the reasons why I wore this week was I must have been about five years old, and I was infatuated with the mop, and it was like I kept looking at the mop, and, it was like, and I was infatuated with Shirley Temple, and I'd watch her every Sunday. And, uh, Animal crack. In my side, knew it back to front. Anyway, I don't know why or how, but I broke the, the, the mop in half and I turned the mop into a wig. And mum must have realised something was going on. She comes, she said, That's funny, the mop's broken. <laughs> and I was like, Oh, fucking sprung now. Oh, what do I do? Oh, I don't know how that happened, mum. Anyway, Dad said, you still want those tap shoes? And I said, oh, yeah, Dad, but you can't get tap shoes. You can't buy tap. 
And he got these two uh, Coca-Cola tops and hammered them into the, into these old shoes that I had. And suddenly I was like, I had the mop and I had the tap shoes and I had animal crackers and I told the, all the kids around the street <coughs> that I was having a big Shirley Temple parade. And, uh, and of course, nobody came. <laughs> I didn't care. I looked fabulous and I just did animal crackers in my suit back to front. And um, that was the start of my drag, I think. And um, not much has really changed, really. Still wearing mops on my head. And have mop will wear. Have mop will wear. Hello, darling. You're a bit late, are you? <laughs> <laughs> You've got a reason. Don't please? go all in, oh, another. I want another one. Okay. Oh. <laughs> Welcome, anyway. You haven't missed much. Haven't missed much, love. Hey, it's my show. All oh, right. Um, oh, thank shit. You. I forgot. Uh, uh, <laughs> 3D, yourself. Oh, well, I was very lucky. I had a very supportive mother that uh, wanted me to be a f performer, I think. And uh, my brother was born. And then I think my mother wanted a daughter, but then I was born. And uh, <laughs> didn't she sort of got a daughter, I suppose. <laughs> and then I remember when I was five, I wanted to go to this party as a fairy. And she let me do it, which was good. And she used to love dressing me up in different costumes. And they had these things called frolics. And you'd walk around in a circle dressed up as like all these different characters. Charlie Chapman, a space band, blah, blah, blah. And she loved me... She loved dressing me up and putting me in these frolics and, of course, I loved it too, you know what I mean? And then uh, a few years later, she got... She hired a costume hiring business and, I, of course, I thought I was in seventh heaven. <laughs> we had a bungalow full of hundreds and hundreds of costumes that I could pick from. And, uh, yeah, so that was pretty fabulous. And she used to, she used to play the piano. She made sure my sister... And I and my brother all learnt piano and learnt singing. And then one day I went to a ballet recital, Pamela Wallace Ballet School. In Ballarat. You know, yeah, and yeah. I saw my sister performing in this ballet recital. And I, they were really good recitals. They were beautiful, beautifully put together and in Her, in Her Majesty's Theatre. And I thought, I'm going to do that. So it, I think I was 13 I decided to do ballet. Right, become a ballet dancer. And Pam was happy because I was the only guy in a whole ballet school. And so she took me under her wing, which was good. And I remember a year later, I took over my father's garage and I presented the full three-act version of Swan Lake. <laughs> <laughs> you played all <laughs> the Using, swans. like, kids from the neighbourhood oh. and my sister. And then I did Giselle, <laughs> I think. <laughs> And then I did uh, the Nutcracker. <laughs> so I turned the garage into the, like, the Ballarat Theatre. <laughs> and I thought, oh, my God, you know, you're starting early. But I mixed all the music, painted all the scenery, made all the costumes and, of course, drew a moustache. <laughs> Which was such a daggy thing to do, really, but you know what I mean. So that, that was a lot of fun doing that. And my mum and dad... Completely supported me in in all those things. You know, that's beautiful. They never said don't. My dad was very easygoing. He was a picture show man. Uh, that was his hobby, and he was a motor mechanic by day, but he also had this hobby of showing movies. Right, so I was lucky enough to, like every second Sunday, he'd show um, a movie on his projector in, at home. So I saw, like, South Pacific, The King and I, all these different musicals. 
and uh, he'd go around to different charities with his movie cap, with his projector, and like six or seven cartoons and stuff. So I had a very kind of rich upbringing with my mum, you know, adoring music and wanting me to perform, and my dad with all the movies. And I was sort of never discouraged, really, from sort of doing all that. And I also, also had a brother and a sister that were extremely talented musically. Uh, my brother had the most incredible ear. He could listen to a song and then play it without, you know, any, any On trouble. the keyboard? Yeah. yeah. And my sister was a brilliant pianist as well. I wasn't very good at piano, actually. It wasn't my forte. So my mum decided that I, maybe I should learn opera. So for a while I had, like, opera lessons from Constance Coward, I think her name was, in Ballarat. Oh, yes, she, she yeah. married Bob Lemke. And I was also lucky enough to join the Ballarat, Ballarat Lyric Theatre and the Ballarat Light Opera, where I met Jack Ewens, yep. who you know. And Stuart Campbell. And Stuart Campbell. Yes. And that was like a rich upbringing too, especially at Her Majesty's Theatre, which was a beautiful theatre. Because you were in community theatre, you were doing uh, The Music Man and yeah. uh, The King and I. The King and I played Louis. Her, uh, oh, Deborah Kerr's son. Son, yeah, or yeah. Miss, Mrs. Anna. Yeah, that's, yeah. that was right. <laughs> and, and Cindy, you did No No Nanette, didn't oh, you? Oh, I did No No Nanette, theater. yes. Yeah. I was a male dancer and uh, learnt tap dancing and, um, oh, that was fun. That was a lot of fun. Has musical theatre been much of an influence on, on your work? Oh, God, yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I yeah, can't get enough of musical theatre. Oh, yeah. I loved Lo it. I love it, love it, I love it. Hammer Stein, My Fair Lady, all those... Hello, Dolly, everything. The, the Merry Widow. musicals, yeah. Yeah, I love musicals. Yeah, absolutely adore musicals. So tell me, uh, when was Cindy and 3D born? When, when was that first performance which solidified your, your career and, and uh, we had these baby Well, I remember born. when I first came to Sydney, uh, after I'd done three years at the Australian Ballet School, I met this boy in Melbourne who was from Sydney... And he said, let's go up to Sydney for a holiday. And I'd had enough of Melbourne, so cold, and I had a very bad asthma attack. And I thought, yeah, this is perfect. I'll go to Sydney. And, of course, as soon as I got here, I fell in love with this place. And two weeks later, I moved up here. And he was from Sydney. He lived in Paddington. And he knew all the right people. He introduced me to Doris Fish, Jacqueline Hyde, uh, Danny Abood. Wendy Saddington, all these amazing people, you know, Peter Tully, David McDermott, amazing artists and performers. I was so lucky through David to meet all these people. So what was the scene like? Was it very underground well, and edgy? Sylvia and the Synthetics had just finished, I think. I don't know if you've heard of the Synthetics. They were an outrageous drag trip that used to throw, like, sausages in old shops and fish at the audience. And <laughs> they were pretty controversial, but... I came in at the tail end of that and Doris lived in Norman Street just around the corner from uh, Paddington Town Hall and she said, oh, Glenn, wouldn't you like to do a show with us at Paddington Town Hall? And this was like t a month after I got to Sydney and, of course, I jumped to the chance. I remember I did The Dying Swan because I still had my point shoes yeah. and uh, that sort of became a fixed thing in my repertoire for a while. I don't mm. think I could do it anymore, though. <laughs> I think if I got up, I don't think I'd get down again. <laughs> and and when another one of the big numbers was like Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend and there was 12 of us doing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend all trying to push towards the front. 
And I remember Danny Boo, Danny Abood, he was a very good friend of um, of Doris's, and he was like six foot ten Lebanese drag queen. Incredible. He came out with uh, wearing a piece of chiffon, great shoes, great makeup, great jewelry. That's it. Nothing else. <laughs> and I thought, yeah, these are the people that I want to be with. And then after that, I got a job at Capriccio's. I don't know if you've ever heard of Capriccio's. Yes. That was an amazing club on Oxford Street that did the most incredible shows with the most amazing costumes and production values. And I uh, joined the cast there with Polly Petri as a oh, male yeah. dancer wearing G-strings. <laughs> And I met these incredible women there, incredible drag queens. There was uh, Robin Lee, Stephanie, Karen Chant, uh, Julie Ashton. And I thought, they're having more fun than me dressing up in drag. <laughs> I'm going to hang up the G-string and become Miss 3D. <laughs> so I think this was 1977, no, 78. 78. Yeah, so I only did one show at Caps and then it burnt down, I think. Uh, <laughs> that's enough. What about 3D? Where, where did that name come from? The How name is... comes from the 3D movies and postcards. I wanted, I didn't really want a girl's name. I wanted something a little bit different. And I like sort of 3D movies and the 3D cards. Yeah, it's, and It's a great name. It heralds you yeah. as an event. Yeah, I've thought of sort of changing my name a few times, but uh, 3D stuck, I think. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, Cindy, you were a, a, a talent quest, I believe. Yes, I was a talent quest at um, Patches. And um, uh, Glenn was uh, – I was going – taking Glenn's clothing, helping him take his clothing and everything to, to – to Patches because he'd already started at Patches. But um, I said, I want to get in on this too. I really like it. And it was like, and I met, I met everybody at Patches and I thought, and I didn't know anybody. This was the thing. And I thought, I don't know if I'll be any good, but it doesn't really matter because no one knows me. So if I'm really tragic, well, we, you know, that's, that's the way it goes. So I thought, I'll just do something. And so I ended up doing something and... Um, I didn't come first, I didn't come second, I didn't get come third. But Trixie said, we want you back next week. And I said, oh, all right. And then after we'd finished, I think we got $40, $35 or something. She yeah, paid. we used to work at Stranded too yeah. before that. Yeah, That's, We used to do Lola. Yeah, we used to do Lola. Yeah. Lola was our first that double. That was one of our first double. But the other one was um, Love is Blue. We yeah. used to do the ballet to and Love I, is Blue. I think we sort of hit Sydney at the right time. Yeah. It was like it was experimental drag. There was like people right. like Teresa Green, you know what I mean? Uh, people like Teresa Green, Julie, you know, uh, Trixie, of course, classic, you know. Yeah. Carlotta was still around, Simone was still around. A very exciting time. Yeah, it was yeah. an exciting time, yeah. and Michael Matu was here. Oh, Michael Matu. You know what I mean? God almighty. So he we was were my lucky. greatest we inspiration. We sort of came at the right time, you yeah. know what I mean? Yeah. And we it was were all at the both right lucky time. enough to be employed, both of us, at Patches, which was good. At yeah. Patches yeah. for about, uh, for I don't know how many Quite years. Quite a few years. About seven years, I think it was. Yeah. And then. From that, we um, we formed a a, a a group called the Showbags. That was later. Yeah. Yeah. What happened was that I think in 1980, I went to New York with David, my That's boyfriend, right. 
and I got offered a job at the Anvil, which was in a notorious gay bar. Did you go out for a holiday? or Yeah, we went for a holiday. Right, but stayed. And uh, I met a guy called Ron Orkins, who was Stephen Orkins' brother, and he'd been living in New York for seven years. So he showed me the ropes, and he introduced me to the guy that ran the Anvil, which was down in the Meat, meat District. And uh, there's a pretty notorious bar, the Anvil, Was right? it a leather bar? It sounds Leather, yeah, yeah. fist-fucking, everything. Oh, right. oh, yeah. Porn downstairs, <laughs> go-go dancing. And I went and drag. And the guy who owned it said, oh, would you like to work here? And I said, oh, my God, I've been offered a job, you know, doing drag in New York. So I came back to Sydney. Came back to Sydney. (laughs) Came back to Sydney. Packed my bags. Packed my poodles because I used to do an act with these two, like French poodle puppets, and was back in New York, living there. I think I spent nearly two years there, and I loved it. Except there was too much cocaine. The whole city was run on cocaine. Everywhere I went was cocaine, cocaine. I thought, after nearly two years, I thought. I got to get out of here. Yeah, it's too crazy. Yeah. It's Self-preser- too insane. Self-preservation. Yeah, I wanted. To, I wanted to keep living. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and also, I used to start work as a go-go boy, and then I'd do drag at the Anvil like one thirty in the morning, and I'd get out of there at seven o'clock in broad daylight, and I couldn't really adjust to sleeping during the day. Yeah. But I loved it there, you know, and I established myself, and they thought like. I was the most incredible drag queen they'd ever seen and I thought, you should come to Sydney. Yeah. You know, it was funny because I was doing numbers like Walking on Thin Ice. Cindy was back at Patches doing Walking on Thin Ice too because that, that song was written, I think, just after John Lennon got shot right. mm. and Yoko wrote that song. So Cindy's back in Sydney doing Walking, walking on Thin Ice and I'm in, in um, New York Walking on Thin Ice. Yeah. So, yeah, then I went back to Sydney and I went straight back to Patches. Yep. And then that was still happening in a big way too. And then about a year later we formed the Showbags at That's the Aubrey right. Hotel. They used to do a 60s night there on Thursdays. And uh, I met Pat Gently and Cindy I already knew and we formed the Showbags. And it was all 60s music. And it really took off in a big way. You know, we had a huge budget like costumes like 50 bucks. <laughs> yeah. And then all of a sudden, there were seven nights of drag at the Aubrey Hotel. Originally, it was a country and western pub. And, of course, it was run by two amazing people, Lee Jennings, who was such a social person, so good with people, and Nanette Theakstone, who was so good with the money. So the combination of the two of them, they really got that place happening. But it was funny how... It ended up being like a drag bar. Seven yes, it was, and that was uh, yeah. that was before I was even doing drag because I'd come from Melbourne and and coming from Melbourne and the drag shows in Melbourne was so fabulous that I sort of thought I knew a little bit about it, even though I hadn't even done it. Yeah, it was quite bizarre, but I was at the bar at the uh, at the Aubrey and I'm. We're just having a drink and I just said to one of the barmen, I said, you know, if you put a, like a matchbox of a stage right there and I said, because you've got that um, door there, I said, you could have a drag show here and it would really work. It would be really, really, really easy. He said, oh, thanks, mate. I'll, I'll take that. And I, don't, I think I was talking to Lee Jennings and didn't even know it. Anyway, 
next thing I know is they're having a birthday party and he calls me over and he says, listen, you want to um, do a show here? And I went, oh, I don't know what to do. And he said, well, I've got it worked out. He said, it's because it's our first birthday. I want you to, you to be Marilyn Monroe and do happy birthday, Mr President. And he said, I'll get all the barmen to carry you out <laughs> on, on the stage. I went, oh, yeah, all right, I'll do that. Anyway... I was uh, I did that and um, yeah, permanent work at the Aubrey for ten years, so that wasn't too bad at all. Um, yeah, we we're lucky because Lee Jennings would get into drag at the drop of a hat. <laughs> you know what I mean? He loved doing drag. Exactly. I remember we did Cinderella, and of course I thought, as a pantomime, I thought, oh my god, who's going to be Cinderella? Me, Cindy, or Pat? Oh my god! And I thought. Oh, no, Lee Jennings can be Cinderella. <laughs> yeah. Very diplomatic move. I was the fairy godmother. And I was Cindy. an ugly stepsister. And uh, <laughs> Cindy and Pat were the best ugly stepsisters. We even got Nanette in it. She was the stepmother. She's the stepmother. And uh, Polly Petrie was Prince Charming, I thought. And that was a lot of fun doing that was, it. So it was like a Christmas show. It was, yeah, yeah, it Christmas was a panto. Show. It right. ran for quite a long time. Right, it was right. very popular. So that tiny stage at the Albury... Uh, you, you were looking at uh, Stranded and Capriccios, Patches. Yeah. Tell me about some of those spaces that you had to perform in and the dressing rooms that came with them. Oh, we, Cindy <sighs> and I did a show at, the, at Ginger's. Uh, it was two parts. The first part was based on Judy Garland and the second part was based on Liza Minnelli. Oh, that was and the dressing room was like two foot by one foot. Yeah, that was <laughs> it. We, we were rehearsing. Bob and was I, there. I, well, I was re- rehearsing and went, so where's the dressing room? And they said, there isn't one. And I went, well, yes, there is. It's the back of the stage and we'll just put a curtain over there. So we'll just go and we'll use that part to dance and we'll just get dressed behind. And it was hysterical. I saw a video of it, uh, of it once and there was, you could just see this silhouette of this person just throwing shit around. <laughs> this silhouette of a person throwing shit around and trying to get ready. But we made it every time. Yeah, it we had lots of quick show. changes, which was silly because we had nowhere to change. We didn't, but, but <laughs> we, made, we made it work. But it was a fun show. Yeah, it yeah. But I, we, I've worked at a few different size places. One of my favourites was Jamison Street when I did Glamour World. And that was a huge stage because it used to be uh, a place where they'd pour engines out of trams. It was like, a, you know what I mean? It yeah. fixed the trams. Yep. And I like I used to go there and sneak... Stephen Hawkins used to sneak me in there on ladies' nights. And stripper nights were very popular. It was a huge venue, like it held 1,200 people. But the biggest stage, two big go-go cages, two different levels... Piano bar, everything, and I thought, oh, I want to work here, I want to work here. And I met this guy called Ian Hartley who had a club on Oxford Street and he said, would you like to do an AIDS benefit down there? So I thought, yeah, I'd love to do it. And I did this song called Lick It, which is by Karen Finlay, which was like a safe sex song from 89. And then uh, Ian said, oh, would you like to do a night here? Tuesdays, permanently, every Tuesday. And, of course, I thought, oh, my God, at last. I'm in the door. And we used to get like six or 700 people there mm-hmm. on a Tuesday night. Wow. I think it had a lot to do with ecstasy. 
<laughs> that was the year that the good ecstasy hit. Because <laughs> they'd all, all these people would be on ecstasy, right? The best ecstasy. Then they'd go to all those parties at the Horden Pavilion mm. on Saturdays. You know, there was yeah. something like 36 or 40 parties. Yeah. Everyone was cashing in. Absolutely. There was no insurance. The, you know, it was very cheap to hire. So, like, and that's when... Jack Pigeon started doing all his parties, the rap parties. Yep. And I got became good friends with Jack as well. And he was very supportive of my career too. And um, also I met the Sweatbox people, Victor Lee. There was Bacchanalia. Cindy used to do yes, a lot I of Bacchanalia parties. Mm-hmm. My friend Stephen Hawkins did a party there with Robert Razik. And I think we got three and a half thousand people there and he made like $10,000 or something. Mm-hmm. So that was like, you know, it was like they'd go out on Tuesday, then everyone would be out on Saturday on Sunday as well. You know what I mean? It was like, it was full on happening in '89. Back in Alia, <laughs> that was full on. You know, it was like, quite, it was quite amazing actually. And those, those parties were wonderful. You know, everyone loved everybody. You know what I mean? The music was good, you know, and the Horton Pavilion, it was a great venue really, you know what I mean? So that was good. And then I think I did 28 Glamour World parties at Jamison Street. Then the guy who owned it sold it and I was furious, right? And now it's a parking lot. It's gone. One of the best discos ever, ever, ever. So, yeah, that was good. And we tried to do – we did 10 more parties, I think, at the Dome, uh, which was a good venue too, but it wasn't quite the same as, as sort of as Jamison Street, right. you know what I mean? And it was good because I got paid a lot of money at Glamour World. For every person that went through the door, I got $2. Oh, Plus got I got a wage. Yep. And Stephen got money too for every person that went through the door. So I was quite prepared to work my butt off. For that place, because I was making so much money. I imagine it's a, an expensive business being a drag queen. Yeah, it was. Yeah. You know, yeah. but mm-hmm. I I spent a lot of money because I was making a lot of money. So I I had people making costumes for me. I was making costumes too, and that's when Tim Chapel started making costumes for me, because he turned up at the Aubrey one night in the most amazing outfit. And I thought, where'd you get that outfit, Tim? And he said, Oh, I made it. And what happened to Tim Chapel? Yeah, Tony you know Award, I mean? Oscar. Yeah, and he does all those you know, amazing costumes. So, yeah. And he started at the Aubrey making just these, you know. So I was lucky enough to get some of his early costumes, which was good. Yeah. And um, he's gone on to great things, mm. which is great. Mm, so, yeah, I've had a pretty sort of like rich, <laughs> you know, performance space in Sydney for the last, I think... 44 years or 42 years or something. Still well, going. I just turned 72 on Monday, I think. Oh, last happy, happy last Friday. Yeah. So this, this old bitch, she ain't done yet. Okay. I still love doing it. I yeah. still love, I'm such a show-off. You know what I <laughs> And I still love doing it. You know, I'm, I'm going to keep doing it until I drop, I think. Yeah, so, yeah. And being... Offered to do something here it was like it was really good too. And meeting Johnny Allen, who's very supportive. And in, in case you want to see, I've got a little movie happening in the movie theatre a bit later on. 
a 10-minute doco. Uh, it was meant to be like an hour doco, but it's been shortened to like 10 minutes. But don't worry, my doco will eventually be finished, but this is just a 10-minute teaser if you're interested in watching it, oh. along with Vegas in Space, <laughs> of course, which is one of Johnny Allen's favourite movies. And if you've never seen Vegas in Space, oh, my God, it's the best. It took Doris seven years to make uh, because she used to insist on doing all the makeup for all the queens in it. So they'd spend four hours doing the makeup and ten minutes shooting the movie. That's why it took seven years to make. But <laughs> if, once you see the movie, you'll see, oh, my God, this is the best makeup I've ever seen in my life. It's so, yeah. And I'm Doris, and I love Doris. She was one of my greatest and probably my greatest inspirations, Doris Fish. Yeah, yeah. Just the most gifted, wonderful person Doris was. She used to spend six months here. She was originally from Manly and uh, she even had her mum on one of the floats, I think. She did a fishmobile one year. And she, um, she knew the best people. She's a very talented artist, Doris. And Johnny Allen, of course, adores Doris, you know what I mean? So she features quite a lot in my doco. Okay. But uh, I wish she was still here with us. Yeah. She's with us, darling, don't worry. She is with us. She's with us. She's yeah. saying, 3D, shut up. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say I can't it. get enough. I love her. Oh, shut up for a minute. Yeah. All right. Do you want to say Have a little jinky, right. love. Have a jinky. Go Can't shut me up. <laughs> Have a little jinky. <laughs> All right. Uh, anyway, so as I was saying... <laughs> Cindy did work for me for a while for, at Glamour World, but she used to get a bit pissed and her, her wife said, no more, she'd come home. Yes, but that's when I drank, love. That's over 30 oh, years. I, I haven't know. had she a drink for drink 30 years. She doesn't drink anymore. No. She's giving it up. Boring old fart now. It's <laughs> <laughs> really boring old fart. So, but look, what, what, when we were we yeah. just talking about all the drugs, all the drugs that we had back in those days, yeah. you know, I, I was so out of it that I couldn't work out why or what or anything, whatever. But, you know, the police left us alone because they realised that, you know, we were losing so many people. Losing so many people that, you know, ecstasy was not going to hurt anybody and no one was going to hurt anybody. And I never, I never realised that till many, many years later that that's why there was so much, that's why I was so out of it and everything, because we really did need something to get through this vile, hideous thing that was taking us over. Um, You're I'm, talking about the 80s and the, the HIV. I'm, I certainly am. I don't even like to say the name of it anymore. But, um, yeah, and uh, we were losing... I lost 27, 27 friends in one week. I, not close friends, but friends that I knew in one week. And I was like, I'm not going to count anymore. And I decided not to count. I couldn't, I couldn't believe... I knew... Because we in the in the Star Observer, they would have a, a requiem page with all the people's names, and I couldn't believe it. Twenty seven people I knew, and um, anyway, thank Christ for the police just leaving us alone and let us enjoy ourselves. And um, I just happened to be uh, in, uh, incredibly uh, gifted at the, at that time to be able to pick up a microphone and for make people just forget about AIDS for five seconds and give them a happy time. And um, it's one of the greatest, greatest privileges and things I could ever possibly 
want in life that I made people happy during AIDS and, you know, that doesn't... You know, the rest is all re really quite mediocre to me. I just love that fact that I could do that and I, I look at it now and think, how did I do it? And I don't know and I just sort of like look at it this way that all the people, all my friends, all those 27 people that I knew went somewhere and they gave me the, the power to go and do what I did and um, I did it for all the audience and I'm still here today and yeah, that'll do me now, thanks. No, that's great, thank you. Yes, um, certainly in a, a catastrophic time like that, your, your work would be more es essential than ever. Absolutely, um, was, yeah. what you did. I don't yeah. know how, you know. It was like you just get on that stage and you just do it. It was like I, I once said that we were like the, uh, the the Andrews sisters of the of the 90s, the show bags were like... The during Andrews. wartime. We're, we're during yeah. wartime, just yeah. like making people laugh, you know. The bigger the costume, the more colourful it was, the better for everybody. More colour and movement, we used to say, and that's exactly what we did. And we're lucky we're here, sister. Yeah, we're still here. We're still here. We're still here. We're still doing shows together. Yeah. So, we well, with a combined 80 years' experience uh, on drag stages, uh, have you been able to uh, give your advice to the next generations? Have you trained... Young drags that are Well, I've been doing, like, a thing called Slay for Pay, which is at Universal on a Wednesday night. Anyone can get up and do... Anyone can get up and do a number, right? And I thought, hmm... It used to happen at the Oxford. I thought, oh, $200 prize money. Oh, this is... This sounds all right. Uh, I think I'll just do a few numbers at the Oxford and show these baby drags who missed 3D is. And they're... Amazing. They're really supportive and they've taken to me, you know what I mean? So I suppose should. it's the, the experience. And I do go to a lot of trouble with costumes, but it's a bit hard when you're 72 competing against like a 20-year-old who does the RuPaul back flips yeah. and the back splits. <laughs> and, and you're really, and really trying to cut down, aren't you? Like? No, I really am. <laughs> no, I've been doing a lot, actually. I love doing it. I also do a thing called Tuck for a Buck. Oh. At the Burdekin, <laughs> which is another competition. So I've won For quite a, a few times. Or I've got second prizes or I've got a $50 drink voucher. <laughs> and I sort of did it regularly, like for every week. And the guy, Dylan at uh, Universal, loves me. Uh, because he said I reminded me of this drag when he used to work for in Miami. Because oh. I remember one night I said I needed some money to hire a, a white ostrich feather fan. And I said, Dylan, can you, because uh, I want to do an opera number. And he said, oh, yeah, I'll lend you the money. But to come into the office, he takes me into the office and behind the door there's a white ostrich feather fan. <laughs> I thought, hey, hang on, how come you got this? And he said, oh, it's left over from my stripper days. Oh, so fantastic. You, you just don't know. You Recycle know. everything. Yeah, yeah, but I love working at Universal. Yeah, yeah. They're very drag supportive. They have drag shows there yeah. like seven nights a week. Right. And uh, it's good because um, – and the Imperial is great too because yeah. they're very drag supportive yeah. as well. Yeah. So we're lucky. We've got these – Those few venues left. Yeah. Because a lot and of the Oxford appeared, as they? well, they're very drag supportive yeah. too. Yeah. And there's not as much as they used to be. You know, we used to have ARC and they used to be like the big shows from the Diva Awards and, you know, there'd be lots of different shows and, 
and things happening. It's not quite yeah. the same, yeah. but it's still good. Yep. And yep. there's lots of uh, lots of interest, and I think a lot of it. Hang got on, to, Pat's calling out of, again. I think a what lot did of Pat it. Gently say. <laughs> Pat <laughs> gently get. Oh, we've tried to get her out of out of doing. So it. Pat's in retirement, is he? Yeah, we've yeah. tried so many times to yeah. get her to come back and do it. But she's refused. She absolutely yeah, refused. It's Doris again, love. She's saying yeah. she's 3D. She got rid of her oil drag. <laughs> but uh, she's still around. Yeah. But, yeah, we had a great run. The showbags ran for seven years. We, we did, did, didn't we? We did lots yeah. of fun shows, yeah. which was good. We, we did right. every, female, every female that, uh, singer that we could possibly imagine. So then we resorted to men. We started doing... Men with high voices. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. We did a Queen show. We did a Queen show. The queen show was Pitney. lots of fun. We did. Uh, uh, who else has got a high voice? We never right. did a Bowie show. We should have. We though. should have done. Yeah, well, we never too late. And then the Hagen true. show would have been yeah, fabulous yeah. too. I love Bowie. We never did do that. Yeah. Yes. But yeah. anyway, Great. but there's lots of fabulous baby drags coming up. Yeah. And love some of the them baby are very drags. Talented. They're beautiful. And also, they're not all from Sydney. There's quite a few girls. That are you know from overseas, which is good. Like, there's a couple of girls from Puerto Rico. There's a girl from Brazil. So, and they they get they they get plenty of work, and the, their energy is quite incredible actually. So, it's all still happening. Yeah. Well, Viva La Drag. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, Cindy and 3D, it has been an absolute delight uh, taking this trip down memory lane oh, and, and learning a bit about your careers and and history. So. Um, Thank you for your time. I know you've got a lot of things that are on during the, the queer evening uh, tonight. So uh, all the best yes, for that. Yes, we and, do. Um, so we I'm sure folks will... We've got a fashion parade. Don't We've got a fashion don't parade. Don't miss the fashion oh, parade. Oh, look, we've had a big photograph. You're getting photographed taken. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, would you please thank Mr ED and Cindy Pascal. Thank you. Come on, love. We'll go this way. Thank you. Are you right? Yep. OK. Oh, no. There we go. That's great. Oh, oh. Thank you. Come on, love. Thank you, Yeah, yeah, beautiful. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Thanks, darling. Thank you. Yeah.